Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by NBA international sensation. I believe that is the right adjective to describe Carlin Gay. Carlin, good afternoon, sir. How are you? CT, what's going on, my friend? I'm uh, I'm well, can't complain, and uh, excited for uh, potentially seeing someone new hoist the championship uh, in, in the NBA. Well, someone new regardless, right? Like, that's one of the cool things about this finals situation is that it's going to be somebody that we have not seen in a long time, two franchises that have been dying for this kind of success and to, to bring it home. I think... I don't know. Like it's it's interesting. Like, do you think this is this is it? Do you think the Bucks? Like, let's just start here. Uh, do you think this feels like the the beginning of the end? Like, I read Lowe's piece on ESPN today, and I was like, well, if I had any optimism left, I think that that's just gone. And just seeing like the, <laughs> Chris Paul has to play a perfect game for the Suns to win the series. Okay, perfect, great. Like, what? I don't know. Are you are you that dubious about Phoenix's chances, or what? What do you think right now going into tonight? <sighs> I'm about seventy percent there. I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really about seventy percent there, and, and and here's why. I think um, the Bucks over the last three years have learned to win, um, so that goes against Phoenix because they haven't had to be in these positions before or at all, uh, you know, in their franchise history. Really, uh, the last time that happened, you know, some of these guys weren't even born yet that are playing on the team. Uh, so that's a part of it. Uh, the second part of it is. I do believe some of it is Chris Paul's injury. I don't think he's 110% healthy. And if they are going to come back in you know dramatic fashion against the Milwaukee Bucks playing at this level, they're going to need Chris Paul running on you know his best. The next two games better be the best of his career uh, if they're going to get back into it. So that's a part of it. And then I just kind of look at the body language from both sides. You know, you look at the press conferences, and I know you know a lot of us spend time digging into the numbers, and, and I'm sure we're going to do that in a little bit here. But you just look at the body language from both sides, and I look at Giannis on one side. He's talking about taking tingles, and then I look at the other side. Uh, you know, where you have Devin Booker, who was answering. Um, you know, this this reporter, you know, his name escapes me, but he got crushed for asking Devin Booker how he felt for Chris Paul or how poorly he felt for Chris Paul after losing in game five and, and being one game away from eliminated. And I think we piled on him. You know, when I say we, I'm talking about the collective social media uh, gang that everyone is. They, they kind of piled on this reporter, poor guy, you know, got you know beat up virtually for asking that question. But to me, it wasn't a bad question. It was just a poorly worded question. And if, you know, when the worlds, worlds were reversed a little bit, Chase, when, uh, you know, after the first two games, that same question was asked in reverse when they were up 2-0, the Phoenix Suns, I'm talking about, of course, you know, they were asking questions like, hey, how happy are you for Chris Paul? And Devin Booker was more than happy to answer that question. Well, now it's flipped around and he's one game away from failing. And I'm talking about Chris Paul here. And Devin Booker is getting asked that question, like, how bad do you feel if Chris Paul is not able to get to the finish line? And he's asked, you know, his answer is next question. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that answer. My problem is that if he didn't want that question asked, he should have nipped that in the bud at the beginning and said, you know what, this is a team sport. You know, Grant, Grant and Chris Paul is our leaders, the team sport, but we're happy as a collective. If he didn't answer the way he did at the beginning, he wouldn't have had to answer the way, or he wouldn't have had to answer that type of question closer in the end. And the way he answered that, the way they looked at each other, the way that the Phoenix Suns have been answering those questions the last three games after, you know, 
really getting bludgeoned by the the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, uh, you know, in depth in a little bit. I'm seeing a body language where it doesn't feel like they believe that they can come back, and that hurts me more than anything else. Yeah, it's just strange because Monty just being the the elite level coach, and we thought that the the Suns had the coaching advantage coming into this game too. And you see what Bud's done, and like just when Lopez is out, they switch everything, and a lot of their defensive adjustments came after game one, and what they saw in game one. Um, I I don't know. I, I like what you're saying about the body language though, because like I wonder with Devin Booker never being here, and just the Bucks, I feel like have more of a sense of urgency with this group and they don't even necessarily need to have it because i mean drew's locked up middleton's locked up Giannis is locked up it's not like this core is really going anywhere but it is kind of interesting to see the the level of urgency and them just piling on like you said and um this is something i think about too when i'm watching games and i'm taking notes and i wonder if you're the same way but like we knew going into this series that the bucks just being the best transition offense in basketball that would not happen as much in this series and the Suns would take some of that away. But then like, do you notice that they're not getting as much and they're still surviving in the half court? Does anything look better about what the Bucks are doing offensively? And do you, do you notice things like Phoenix getting the corner threes getting taken away? Like as this three game losing streak for them has taken place. Do, do you notice in real time that like, Oh man, these are not open or Devin Booker is not able to find the open guy here when he's got Pat Connaughton switched on and, are you noticing that in real time? Uh, well, what I'm noticing is, is a couple things. It, it, one is that, you know, the Phoenix Suns are, are playing really good basketball and, and they're still losing. You know, when, when you talk about the shooting, they've been able to bring to the table. They're shooting 50% from the floor as a team and 40% from three as a team. Um, they're getting to the line and they're knocking those free throws down. They're shooting 86% from the free throw line as a team. So I don't think they could shoot any better from the floor. You look at Devin Booker, he's averaging 30 points in the series, you know, back-to-back 40-point games, and both of those were losses. We had the big game. You always want in a final series an X-Factor to kind of step up and have a big game. We got that from Mikael Bridges in game two. We haven't had much, uh, you know, response from anyone else uh, in, in, the, in the games beyond that. So, um, you know, DeAndre Ayton's numbers are going to look fine by the end of this series. He, you know, he's averaging a double-double, and he's, he's over, a, you know, a steal and a block and a half. For, for the series so you're you're not really seeing a giant hole in the phoenix sun except for one area and that one area is the rebounding and i think that's where the milwaukee bucks really started to take hold of the series is when they realized that hey we are bigger than the phoenix suns and we're actually going to use that to our advantage you know game three is really when it turned you know the suns were out rebounded 47 to 36 overall they allowed milwaukee to grab 13 offensive boards in that game Game four, plus eight on the glass in favor of Milwaukee. They grabbed 17 offensive rebounds in that game. And then in the game uh, five, it, it was a lot closer on the boards. They were only able to out-rebound them by two, but there was 11 extra chances, 11 offensive rebounds that the Milwaukee Bucks were able to pull down in that game. And I don't care how poorly you shoot from the field or how poorly you shoot from the foul line if you're in the, in the case of Milwaukee. Any NBA team that gets multiple chances at putting the ball in the basket, they're going to end up doing so. And what what it also does, Chase, is it, it extends your defensive possession. It, it makes you have to play a little longer. Everyone is tired in this series. Everyone's tired in this series. They're all playing major minutes. They, you know, they, they're all going through this war of attrition that we call the NBA you know, season and ultimately the NBA finals. And the last thing you want is to 
play defense for 20 seconds of the shot clock, do it really well, get the shot that you want, have them miss, which is the result you want, and you don't clean it up with the board. And that's what's happening to the Phoenix Suns, and it becomes deflating because you're now giving them back-to-back possessions. Uh, you're now putting them in a situation, them being Milwaukee, uh, where they can kind of build some momentum and kill yours. It doesn't matter how many jump shots you're hitting on one end. If you spend the majority of time on your third of the floor, you're going to be in trouble. And that's adding to the fatigue. And you're seeing it really late in the fourth quarter where Phoenix, you know, throughout the regular season, they were a really good clutch team. You know, Chris Paul was one of the best clutch performers in the entire league this year. But over the course of the 48 minutes that we've seen in the playoffs, we saw it a lot in that game five where, where everything was on the line. Basically, the series is on the line. It looked to me like the Phoenix Suns were really depending on Devin Booker because he was the only guy that had gas in his tank. Everybody else didn't have the legs. Everybody else didn't just have the wherewithal to be able to rise to the occasion. On the other end, the Bucks got it from everywhere. P.J. Tucker looked like he was healthy and, and ready to, 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 to lay some lumber. You, you saw Giannis. He was walking up the floor in the, in the second quarter because he was gassed, but he sprinted up the floor in that last possession when uh, Drew Holiday comes up with that steal and throws down the alley-oop. Like, he found gas when he needed it. Holiday's been there, and then, of course, Milton with his time of shooting. The Bucks are really imposing their will and using their size. And, and to use a boxing analogy, they're throwing body blows, and, and really those body blows are starting to accumulate on the Phoenix Suns, and it, it's only going to be a matter of time where this knockout punch is on its way. So you, you, you're looking for the knockout punch. Like, you're, you're expecting that at this point. I am, and I said 70% there because I think how game six plays out is this. We haven't really seen the great shooting performance from the Milwaukee Bucks here in this finals. I think they go back home. Uh, you know, I think they start, you know, really knocking down threes where, you know, we haven't seen one of those games where Brooke Lopez goes crazy from three-point range in this, you know, in this playoffs, really. He's only shooting, you know, 27% or 28% rather from three-point range in the finals. So he hasn't had one of those games where, you know, Lopez is, is, is launching and knocking down three threes to start the game. We're going to get the Bob, Bobby Portis minutes where he energizes the crowd and hypes everybody up. And then Giannis is going to do him. And I, I, I'm really, I'm really worried for there's going to be an offensive wave chase that I think that the Bucks are going to put on the Suns. I'm really worried that the Suns believe enough in themselves to overcome that and make a comeback on the road. Um, you know, we, they played their best road game. I believe in game four and still lost. And that is going to be in their back of their minds. If that situation happens again, it's like we gave it our best in game four and we still lost on the road. We gave it our better. We, we played pretty well in game five and lost at home. It's hard to have those short memories. And I really do think that if the bucks jump on them early, we're going to start celebrating the Milwaukee bucks throughout the end of the second quarter or second half. It's sort of like with the Lakers last year, right? It was, it was in the bubble. Um, you know, it, it went down to a game six, you know, Miami had a little bit of momentum, but they just didn't have enough. And when the Lakers turned it on in game six and really started to pour it on, it, there was no response. There was nothing left for Miami to give. And you saw that the game kind of ran away from them. I, I do expect that to happen in, in, uh, in game six here in Milwaukee. It's crazy we're here. Like, just think about like how Milwaukee, like I was looking back at like pieces of like, oh, Milwaukee's in trouble after game one and then after game two it's like uh oh this is this could be suns and five and i had coming to the series like i was i just didn't really see how the suns did not win as the more complete team and i, I just expected suns and six and we're now here where it looks like the bucks and six is very very possible like if anyone 
thought the Bucks were winning. I just saw a lot of Bucks in seven if it just goes a long time. And a lot of it just depended on Giannis's health. And Giannis is clearly fine. And then you think about like how they got here. Like Phoenix's road was pretty clean and we can talk like, I, I shouldn't say we could talk because it's just, it feels silly to talk about what Phoenix did to get here in terms of the injuries they were faced with at uh, an opposing teams. Like that's not their fault. Like they play, they, they hand their dealt and they move through. They did their, what they were supposed to do. But with the Bucks, like the Bucks actually didn't look good. Like the difference between the Bucks and the Suns route is the Suns looked good as they were moving through the Western Conference, even if injuries derailed a lot of these teams. Like they still look good doing it. And then you look at the East, where the Hawks would have won that series if Trey doesn't get hurt. I still believe that to my core. Like I think the Hawks would have won that series. And I think Trey was just um it just it, it was a bummer. It was a gigantic bummer to see that series go the way it did. And then you look before that. I mean, the Nets, if the Nets are healthy, we, we can just go ahead and pencil them in. Like, it took everything. It took just having one net of the big three available for the Bucks to squeak by that series. It's like, this team has not been impressive to this point, and now they pull out their most impressive feat in the finals. I think that's wild to me that nobody saw it coming. This is why you play the games, right? Is that the Bucks came out and looked their best in the NBA finals when they just did not look like a championship team just throughout the summer like they just haven't looked like it and they really shouldn't even be here isn't is that a fair characterization and it's not an attack of bucks fans they shouldn't enjoy it it's just that like it's why that they're playing their best basketball right now based on what we saw before this yeah you know what i think it is chase i think we get we got kind of spoiled with the dominance that were the golden state warriors and, and and how they were able to kind of mow down the competition on their way to championships because I think when you look beyond them, if you remove them and you look at the champions that we've seen in the NBA, and let's just look at the last two, right? The Lakers and and the Raptors, they didn't look their best, you know, each and every single outing in the in the playoffs. You know, when you look at the Toronto Raptors, they were down against the Philadelphia 76ers and had to win a big time game four on the road to get back in control of that series. You know, and they were four bounce shot away from even getting to the conference finals. And when they get to the conference finals, they're down 0-2 against these very same Milwaukee Bucks that we're talking about here and had to overcome that and get to, you know, the finals. And they win the big game one, but then they, they lose home court advantage, you know, in game two against a Warriors team that had been there before and, and, and knew what they had to do to win and everything else. So they also had the same luck that the Milwaukee Bucks had in terms of the injuries that, you know, they saw along the way when they got to the finals. Uh, you know, we, we know what happened with Kevin Durant. We know what happened with Clay Thompson in Game Six. We still haven't seen Clay Thompson back, unfortunately, on a basketball court since then. So, and, and then when you look at, you know, in that Philly series, uh, you know, Joel Embiid has uh, the stomach issues. Who knows if he's completely healthy? What happens there? The Magic weren't going to give them any trouble, but they lose Game One to the Orlando Magic, and then it's oh, here we go again. Are the Raptors going to, you know, stub their toe on their way? to a playoff in, in, in their playoff run when they should be really competing for a championship. So there were questions that were brought up for the Toronto Raptors that they had to answer every single way along the way. And then the, finally they get to game six of the finals on the road in a tough place to play. And we see their best basketball game as a complete team. Fred Van Vliet goes insane, knocks down three pointers upon three pointers. Siakam has a great game, and it starts off with Kyle Lowry setting the tone early in that game, having the best game of his life, in my opinion, in that game six. And then Kawhi Leonard did Kawhi Leonard things, and now we're looking at an NBA championship team. I think last year with the Lakers, it was the same thing. We, 
how many people picked the upset between the, the Lakers and Blazers right out of the gate? The Blazers were hot coming into the bubble. Everyone said that Lakers couldn't guard Dane, they couldn't guard CJ. They lose game one due to the Lakers, and all of a sudden, well, they made quick work of the Portland Trailblazers, and that, and that wasn't an issue. They, and it's, oh, can, can, can they guard Jokic when they get to the conference finals, right? Like, that was the question. Can they guard uh, Westbrook when he's playing, you know, the five? How are they going to do that? They walk through both those teams and get to the finals, and then the Heat, you know, they had a great run and looked amazing, but the Lakers had to answer questions all along the way. And, of course, when you have LeBron James on your team, the doubts aren't as big as when you have Giannis on your team, but there were still doubts. You know, there's still, is LeBron old? You know, is he too old? Is Anthony Davis going to live up to the hype? Is he going to be healthy? Can KCP knock down threes? I think every championship team, even beyond the, the, the last two I talked about, are going to have questions on their way to the title. So we get, we got spoiled for that run for the Golden State Warriors because they were just so dominant with KD there and, and, and Steph. They, you know, they, they barely lost on the way there. So we really never got to ask those type of questions. It was just like a foregone conclusion. They're going to get to the finals and they're going to see LeBron and they're going to knock them out in five. Like there, there's no question about it. But, but the realistic situation here is when you look back at the history of the NBA champions that we've ever seen, you can go back to the 80s and 90s and even beyond that, there were always questions for the teams that got to and went on these deep playoff runs. And the Milwaukee Bucks are just falling into that pattern. Um, but the difference is, is with them is that a lot of their questions actually began two years ago in 2018 when the Raptors knocked them out, or two seasons ago, I should say. And they were still there and, and left to be answered when, you know, the Heat basically swept them. They generally swept them last year. So I think a lot of those questions are being answered in real time. And it, it's taking us time to kind of give them the credit that they deserve because, you know, Drew Holiday has been fantastic in these playoffs. Um, you know, defensively, his offense has been hit and miss. But when he does play really well offensively, we see the result. Chris Middleton is, is, is a bona fide number two. Uh, I think any team in the NBA would love to have a Chris Middleton uh, on their team. And then what I've seen out of Giannis, Chase, it, 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 we've seen growth from him from this first series to where he is now. My one criticism from Giannis is not his shooting. I, I don't care if he can shoot threes or not. I, I think he'll be able to score regardless. I don't care if he's a great free throw shooter. I've accepted the fact that that's not going to be the case. My only issue for for him coming into this playoffs where it was, you know, and my only criticism was I think he played too fast. I, I think he always tried to play at a speed that, you know, uh, you know, didn't allow him to see the game rather, you know, he, or even feel the game. He was just kind of like, I'm bigger, stronger than you. I'm just going to bulldoze my way to the rim no matter what. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing him kind of take that step back and he's thinking the game more than he ever has. And that's a scary pro proposition for the rest of the NBA, not just the Phoenix Suns in game six and seven, if there is one, but the rest of the NBA, because it happened with the greats, all the greats that we've seen. Jordan figured it out. He was dominant. He was a great scorer. But when he started winning championships is when he started thinking the game, when he started trusting his teammates to take the big shots. And that's why we get the Paxton three that, you know, leads them on the run that they end up going on. That's why we get the, the Kerr highlights that lead them on the run that, you know, they end up going on. We see it with LeBron James. It, it wasn't until he, he really started to trust D. Wade and, and Chris Bosh and, and the Mike Millers that he wins a championship and that he takes that mentality back to Cleveland and and, and the rest is history there. Kevin Durant, same thing. You know, it wasn't until he had teammates around him that he could trust that he was able to get to the mountaintop. And, and Kobe Bryant, same thing. So I, I think in Kobe's second run, I mean, not the first run. The first one was kind of, he was kind of the sidekick. But when he was the leader of the team, it wasn't until he trusted Powell and Ron Artest and, and, and the Vujovic's, uh, uh, Sasha Vujovic's and, and all those guys to get them over the hump. 
Giannis is in that same position. He knows he's a great player, but to win and achieve at a high level, he has to have everyone else elevate to his level. And we're seeing that big time chase. When's the last time you saw Giannis take a charge? Like <laughs> when was the last time you saw him take a charge? And this, this is real because when you look at Giannis, and I, and I think I went back and I, and I looked at this for one of the pieces I wrote for NBA.com, Giannis had uh, last two years ago had 68 charges in a regular season, an entire regular season. You followed that up with 65. This year he was in the 50s. He was in the low 50s. And while they obviously played a lot less games, it, it was it's a difference between him getting himself into foul trouble where he's being taken out of playoff games very early with two quick fouls and has to sit and watch the rest of the game. And then after the game, we ask, oh, how come Bud's only playing him 35 minutes? Well, part of that is, A, he gets fired, and then B, he's in foul trouble. We haven't seen that in these finals. He's been able to play in these games. He has three charges in the five games that he's in, in these finals. Two of them came in the first two games. He had one game one, one game two. The third was in game three on a moving screen. That's it. He hasn't, he hasn't been in those situations where he stands at the top of the key, he, he looks at the defense, the defense is able to build a wall, and he says, you know what, I'm going to be Bo Jackson, I'm going to put my head down and try to get through you and then force the rep to make a decision and put me in foul trouble. We haven't seen that from him. We've seen him look at the defense and say, oh, you guys are sitting a wall up? Okay, cool. Here's Pat Connaughton for corner three. Here's Drew Holiday. How about I let Chris Middleton be a playmaker? Let me rely on these guys and let them do things and get the ball back to me. So it's slowing down. It's also the trust of his teammates for me that has put them in this situation. I really love seeing the growth from this Bucks team. They're answering the questions. And then more importantly, I think Giannis is really decided, you know, he's starting to trust his teammates. And that is scary for the rest of the Eastern Conference uh, because this is a team now that is a core of Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday that's going to be together for quite some time. You're at a sports bar. And you're watching game six tonight and someone looks over and they're like, oh, it's Carlin Gay from NBA International. And they're like, hey, what what's going on with Chris Paul? I, I keep saying that he's hurt, but he's denying that he's hurt. What would you point to to be like, OK, this is an example of why this dude's not 100 percent in this series? I, well, one thing is, is he's hurt. You know, I, I do think that that is the case. But when you remove that. I think the major question or the major answer that, uh, you know, that, that everyone should say is Drew Holiday. You know, it, Drew Holiday has done an incredible job of beating Chris Paul up. It has been tough for Chris Paul to even just get past half court. Uh, the, the amount of pressure that he's being put on, you know, the minute he catches the ball on the inbound is tremendous. So you're asking a guy to, you know, not only play, you know, 35 minutes around that, uh, maybe even 40 in these last couple of games, to just get to the point where you're in the game, but then you have him, you know, you're playing heavy minutes it, 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 at, at age 35. I think that's going to catch up to you, even if he wasn't injured. And it's a mental uh, toughness that Chris Paul has to have. He has to match that with, you know, the physical, you know, attributes that he's been given. He's not a big guy. He's having to box out, you know, every single possession because on the other, on the defensive end, he's guarding one of the, you know, two best players on the floor at any given time, whether it's Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. But also, he's going to have to box them out because they've been getting crushed on the glass. He is taking a physical beating, um, and and I don't know that his body at the age that he's at is is able to hold up. Um, it, it's been tough for him. You're seeing him take some frustrating, you know, fouls uh, throughout. Uh, he, he has to play at such a level on every possession offensively. And he has, he has to be thinking the game at such a high level and every possession offensively that I, I do 
think that that contributes to, you know, some of his his fatigue that's been building up on him. Because, yes, Devin Booker is a great playmaker, but they just go to another level. and They have both Devin Booker and Chris Paul going at the same time. You know, Paul had a decent game in game five, but it, you didn't feel it. You know, the last time we really felt Chris Paul's impact was game one. You know, he had a great game, 32-9. and nine. He shot 63% from the field. It was an incredible game. Since then, uh, you know, he, he's had, when you look back at his counting numbers, it's been fine, but you don't feel the impact. You know, you don't feel the big basket. You don't feel the momentum shifting play. He's not taking a charge. You know, he's not, he's not coming up with the, one of those pickpockets. He's not, he's not, you're not doing the old Chris Paul where I stop in front of you and you fold over my back. And I, you know, those files pile up. We haven't seen some of that stuff from Chris Paul that we've, we've come to know and love where it's frustrating for you to play against him. He's just kind of having to, you know, be a bully and bulldoze his way down the floor. And then when he gets there, you're already, you know, 14 seconds on the clock. And then I got to find either Booker or I got to find Bridges. I know I got to get eight in a touch and then I have to score my own. It, it is a lot of pressure on Chris Paul at the age that he's at. And the Bucks are not making it easy for him. Their length, their size, it's really tough. The, the one thing that I think that, you know, the, the, the Suns miss the most, and I never thought I would say this, Chase, is uh, Dario Saric. He's only mm. played two minutes in this in this series. Um, he's been out, you know, since game one. And, it, and the reason why I say that is because if you have a Drew Holiday hounding Chris Paul all the way up the floor, Dario Saric, you can insert him into the game, and he could be one of those guys that is really going to lay the screen on, on, a, on a Drew Holiday to prevent him from doing that. You can't risk DeAndre Ayton in those situations because one foul call, you know, could really leaves you in, in, in a bad, bad place. Mm. But Drew Holiday, or sorry, uh, you know, Saric has six fouls. If he gets into foul trouble, it's not a big deal because he's not your go-to guy. But those six fouls are meaningful, and he's also a big body. So he can he can shove and move around and, and set screens a little bit more aggressively, knowing that he has those six fouls to give. And I think that they miss that because, you know, you bring Kaminsky off the bench – He's not doing that for you. He is a big body, but he is not a physical presence. And uh, he's definitely a liability defensively, so you can't play him a lot. But Sarge is that guy that I think they miss. Not a lot of people are talking about that because um, he, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have swung the series, but he would definitely be a contributor in the series. And I don't think it would look as bad on the glass if he was in the game. Interesting. Um, moving forward, um, Damian Lillard, Carlin. Uh, I don't really know what to make of where what his future is in Portland. Nothing would surprise me at this point with Portland, um, and not not for the better, I would say. But it uh, per the Ringers, Kevin O'Connor, he said the Heat, the Kings, the Knicks, and the Sixers have been the most aggressive for Damian Lillard of that four. Who for you makes the most sense, and why is it Philadelphia? It's definitely Philadelphia. Yes. Um, okay, we're on the same and, page. I got yeah, into like a heated back and forth last week on this, where I'm like, I don't. What? Why are we acting like it's not Philadelphia? Philadelphia is the logical, the the most logical, and it's not even close. And it's also just the best that Portland can get, right? Like Ben Simmons is better than whatever they can get in any of these other options. And that's why, and that's why I think it should be Philadelphia. I think uh, you know, just it just makes too much sense. It would be nice to see him in any of those other cities. I, I understand that. But when you're looking at what the Portland Trailblazers can get back as an asset, there's not going to be a bigger chip on the table than Ben Simmons. We're talking about a guy, yes, he, he, you know, he, he can't shoot from the foul line and then apparently doesn't want to even shoot uh, you know, jump shots. But he can do so many different things on the basketball court that a lot of players can't do. 
And I do believe that at some point he's going to figure out a way to at least become what Giannis is, where he's really dominant in and around the rim. Um, and he's never going to be a great three-point shooter, but at least he's not going to be fearful of going to the line and taking those foul shots at the end of a game. So that's going to change at some point. Maybe a change of scenery might help with that. Going to a place like Portland, where they're largely supportive of their stars. Like when Portland is not a city where you know if you're playing bad, they're going to boo you. They're, they're going to support you no matter what in Portland. Philly is the opposite. Philly might be, other than New York, might be the worst city to play in when you are a little bit skeptical on the basketball floor because. Even at, the, you know, you could play 82 road games if you were in the Philadelphia 76er uniform because you know if you play poorly on the road, you're going to get booed. And if you know if you play poorly at home, you, you might even get booed even louder. So getting Ben Simmons out of that environment, I think, helps. Um, I, I think, you know, a, there's obviously rumors about the Portland Trailblazers trying to sell the franchise. You know, obviously, Damon Lillard, from a, uh, definitely from an American perspective, he's a bigger star than Ben Simmons, and he, he would bring more value to the franchise you know, potentially in a sale by being on the team. But Ben Simmons has international appeal. Like he is a master star internationally, globally, and he's very young, you know, so you, you can sort of build a brand around Ben Simmons. So you're not losing much there uh, when you bring in a Ben Simmons. It, 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 you, you put Ben Simmons on that team, you know, 70% of Australia automatically becomes Portland Trailblazer fans. You, you kind of get a whole country to support you. And because the Portland Trailblazers play on the West Coast, their games are in more favorable uh, time zones than they would be for Australia uh, when, when Ben Simmons plays in Philadelphia. You're, you're looking at 9 a.m. versus, you know, around, you know, 10 a.m. noon, uh, depending on when we are in daylight savings time or not uh, for games in Australia. And you, you get a lot more support because people can watch, you know, on their lunch break or people can watch, uh, you know, on their on their Saturday off in, in the midday. So, I think the Portland Trailblazers definitely make sense for Ben Simmons and vice versa. I think, you know, Lillard is the piece that the Philadelphia 76ers are definitely missing. And showing my East Coast bias, I would love to have Damon Lillard on the East Coast and watch him at 7 p.m. rather than staying up, rubbing my eyes late at midnight to watch him drop 55 against the Nuggets at 1 a.m. in the morning. I don't want that anymore, Chase. I want him on the East Coast where I can watch him do his work, and get to bed at a decent hour. That's all I ask. That's all. Bring all the stars to the East Coast. Forget about the West Coast. That's all I ask. I was writing about Monday Night Raw at 4.30 a.m. Uh, this morning. Oh, jeez. So. I'm, I'm a big Raw fan. Um, you know you know, I'm a big wrestling fan, Chase. And yeah. I, that was the first, That was the, not to go off on a tangent, but that was the first time I watched uh, Raw in a while, live, like for, for, the, for the whole thing. Normally, I'll listen to a podcast or two, and I'll go back and pick out things that they tell me to watch. Last night, I, I, I was a fan again. You know, the Cena open was great. And then they ended it with that, you know, fart in church, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all respect to, uh, to, uh, to ASH, uh, almost superhero. And, I, and I, it's a great moment for her personally, but I, I don't think you can end a Raw like that. It, it just doesn't give me, it doesn't leave the taste in my mouth that I want to come back, especially when on Wednesdays, I know I'm going to be entertained from, for two hours. That's my, my wrestling take for the fans. Oh, you got you to gotta read my column because i i had scorched earth like everything after like i laid out it's kind of amazing like whoever booked this show is like all right we're gonna do the two good things for like the fact like you know a pro wrestling show has gone off the deep end when a when the symphony of destruction match with elias and jackson is the highlight of your your show oh like that that's a problem when that is the number one garnered reaction and doing i was so personally offended at them doing charlotte versus Rhea again like less than 24 hours after it happened last night when that match literally stole the show like that was an absolute banger 
at Money in the Bank Sunday. It was. And you didn't have to. It was the best match on the card. Right. Yeah. You just you let it go. Like you just pull Rhea for a little bit. You let her hide out. Like after Mox lost to Omega. Like it's okay to let stuff breathe and to pull them and just sell the injuries because of what Charlotte did to her knee and the way she won. Just pull Ripley for a little bit. Um it was that show was atrocious, like up and down the line. Like everything was bad after Cena. Like Cena started everything off and then was like, All right, now everything's gonna just progressively get worse. And Nikki Ash and like this whole idea of giving people titles to get them over instead of getting people over and then giving them the title has always plagued yeah. this creative team. And Nikki's just not over. Like fans did not care. And this character is still not developed. Like she's not over. Like if you put Liv Morgan in this spot, I think this works. I think last night works. I think this works. Like fans are ready to cheer for Liv Morgan. And they are yeah, like, they they, are. like if you watch that show, like you see it, like they were in on Liv Morgan. She's been around a long time. Her character's over. She's got, Real babyface potential. Nikki Ash or ASH doesn't like. She's just not over. It's not fun. It's stupid. It seems like a merch thing, and it's not a shot at Nikki because she's a talented worker. But it's just that was a terrible way to end Raw. Charlotte versus Becky is what everybody wants, and now you're making this Becky return murky with Bianca on SmackDown, and like it doesn't make sense for Becky to return there. It doesn't like it. Just it's right there to build Raw around Becky and charlotte and they're just uh, not there. and then keith lee just not having his music so fans and like me sitting i was like i don't even know who that is coming out and then it's just right. keith lee like getting rid like you missed a moment because you just didn't it's like a clerical air just if bask in his glory if that hits first we know exactly what's happening and the crowd's losing their minds because they remember that they don't remember any of this like oh man i i like it you was, see what happens here i'm going off on this tangent and then carrying cross no like, you're right oh my you're goodness right. oh my goodness it, it felt, you know what it felt like, Chase? It felt like a lot of, they were trying to go for a lot of internet memeable mm-hmm. moments that just fell flat. Like the Goldberg stuff, we knew about it for a long time. I, I think you could be a little bit more creative. You know that we know, but you'd be a little bit more creative by the way you roll it out. Um, the carrying cross thing, I mean, I, I'm not a huge NXT fan, but I understand that this guy's been, you know, dominating over there. And you bring him up and you have him lose the way that he lost to Jeff Hardy to do what? To build him as a, you know, as a what? As a loser? That's, that's insane. The first time that I see him on the main stage, that's my impression of him is that he is a, he's a Brooklyn brawler. Like, what are we doing here? They also just don't explain why he's there. Like, this right. idea, like, it's just. Yeah, where'd he come from? Why is he here? Why? Like, you could easily tell the story. And this is what I wrote about him. Like, he's literally in a storyline where him and Regal, like, they had to bring in Samoa Joe to keep the peace. Just say that he was shipped away. That Regal was like, I'm not dealing with this dude anymore. And they moved him to Raw. Like, they were like, nobody else, we don't want you here. Go see what happens on Raw. Like, it's an easy story to tell. Instead, it was a vague vignette. And if you're watching NXT, it's insulting where it's like, are they just pretending he doesn't have Scarlett Bordeaux? Like, just acknowledge that. Where where was she? Right. Oh, my God. It's such a dumb company. It's so dumb. I I don't know why I get mad online. And then getting mad online and writing about this at 4 a.m. is is wild times. (laughs) Carlin, it's wild times. It is. Um, it is. So you're there for Friday. That's what. That's what it comes down to. Hey, Friday. Exactly. Night. You just gotta get through the Monday slog. But mon- you know, nature yeah. is healing when Monday Night Raw is uh, grinding my gears. Um, Kyle Lowry, do you do you yes. like the fit in New Orleans? Because I hate you, it. You I, hate honestly, it. Yeah, I do. I hate it. it, mm. it this is so for for me. Kyle Lowry is you know he's the greatest Raptor of all time, and I have a unique perspective from this. I you know I grew up in Canada. He is the best Raptor of all time. I know some people out on the outside looking in would say, well, that's Vince Carter. No, it's not. It's Kyle Lowry. Vince Carter was 
the guy that sort of brought the spotlight to Canada, brought the spotlight to Toronto, and uh, deserves a lot of credit for putting Toronto on the map, essentially. But Kyle Lowry is the guy that raised the franchise to heights that it never would have gotten to. If Kyle Lowry doesn't arrive in Toronto, there's no shot that Kawhi Leonard has the opportunity to come over and win a title. You know, he, he really set the standard very high and should be the guy uh, that has his jersey retired. So that all being said, um, he's not going to New Orleans to, to rebuild. Like, New Orleans isn't ready for a title. If Kyle Lowry is going to leave Toronto, He's going to go to a situation where he's winning one more championship before he calls it quits. And that's not going to happen in New Orleans. There, there is a lot that New Orleans needs. And a veteran point guard should be at the top of that list, especially if they're going to get rid of Lonzo Ball or, or allow him to walk. But Kyle Lowry is not the fit there because Kyle Lowry is not going into a situation on any team where he looks at it and says, hey, I'm going to get Zion to the next level. No, he's not interested in that in this point of his career. He's interested in going to a team where he looks around and says, oh, there are other guys like-minded like me that want to get to the finals, not just get to the playoffs. Like we, we saw him see Zion in the playoffs. We saw him see New Orleans and Brandon Ingram in the playoffs. He's not interested in getting them to the playoffs. Like he's not going to do what Chris Paul did last year in trying to get Phoenix over the hump. He's looking to go to a ready-made situation where, uh, whether that's Miami uh, or, or, or maybe even uh, Philly, depending on if they keep Ben Simmons or not. Um, you know, I, I don't see him on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, I really do see him staying in the East Coast. I really do see him in Miami. Um, you know, it, it's been rumored for a long time. I think that makes the most sense at, you know, in the current climate uh, of the NBA. Uh, you know, on, what happened with Victor Oladipo is very unfortunate. I think Miami needs to find a way to, to replace that, that, that gamble. And it would be great to have Kyle Lowry there because he's the perfect He's the perfect star chase that doesn't need the basketball. And that's so rare in the NBA. He's going to be able to take a charge when you need him to take one. He, he's going to be able to knock down a big shot when you need him to knock it down. And he's going to be all, he's always going to put your team at ease when he has the ball at the point guard position. And I think that's the next step for the Miami Heat. Drogic is a great point guard, but he's, he's a sixth man at this point of his career. So, and Tyler Hero, it, we, we saw the season he had. We can't expect him to you know, take that leap that we were expecting to take. So you just have a lot of calm with Kyle Lowry with the ball in his hand. And I, I do expect him to make it to Miami if he leaves Toronto. If he doesn't leave Toronto um, and, and, there, and there's a trade scenario later down the line, I think the NBA is going to have to look drastically different for me to pick a spot for him to end up in. But I just don't think it's New Orleans. If that's a rebuilding situation. This is a guy that wants to win a ring. I also just think New Orleans is, is just done. Like I've can't like I, I've moved on from any New Orleans optimism. Um, David Griffin calls me, so I hope he doesn't hear me. But like everything is bad there. Like everything is bad. The the juju's bad. Zion's family already getting antsy about things there. Willie Green taking over. We'll see what that looks like. Um, but Brandon Ingram and Zion is never going to be the cleanest of bits. They're just it's a weird yeah. roster, weird pressure there, and then obviously Seattle's living. So I just uh, where. Where's the pressure coming from? I don't. That's why I don't understand. Like Zion has not even played, you know, 100 games in his life, and you, you you're giving him his third coach in three years. Like that's insane. Uh, and then almost like New Orleans. No offense, New Orleans. That's a football town. Like they don't care whether the Pelicans win or not. Like they they've had the luxury of hiding behind Drew Brees for the last two seasons. Now that's that's gone away. Uh, but you know, the rest of the town is not putting any pressure on Zion to perform. They're going to be looking at Teddy Bridgewater or not Teddy Bridgewater. Sorry. Uh, um, who's my crap? Jameis Winston, Jameson Winston, Jameson, Jameis Winston, uh, as, as the, as the savior of the franchise. And they're going to be throwing all their bad juju towards that. Like Zion and Pelicans could sneak on the radar. They're, 
they're they're fine. Like Griff should not feel any pressure. Uh, you know, as long as they make the playoffs this year, they'll, they'll be fine. And you don't have to make the playoffs; just make the playing game. You know, <laughs> like that's a step forward. Just finally make the playing game. Zion, we've created this thing for you, and you haven't been in it for the last two years. Get there in the third year. Get there in the third year. That's all. Yeah. We'll see. I, I'm going to bet against it. Until proven otherwise, I'm going to bet against it. Also, New Orleans is the sneakiest, smallest TV market in basketball. Like, that is just a that is a universal truth. It's a small market, smaller than Memphis. And uh, if the NBA is not going to expand, which I hope they don't, to, um, I, I just don't think it's it, it's going to help the health of the league. So, if that's the case, uh, moving them would be, uh-huh. would be great. Back in Seattle. There you go. Zion in Seattle. I would much more prefer that, I would say. I don't want him on the West Coast, Chase. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what would be amazing? Like, how easy would our lives be, Carlin, if we just all had sports on uh, when sports are on for West Coast people? Like, I I tell my girlfriend this all the time where I'm like, it's just... It's amazing. Like it, it, I cannot imagine waking up to football at 11 a.m. and just being done or being done with the Braves at like 6 o'clock. Like, that is incredible. It was it was great for me when I was living in Australia. I lived there for four years uh, prior to moving. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now. And when we when I was over there, the first West Coast East Coast game, I should say, would tip. And normally it was the Wizards. For some odd reason, the Wizards always starts like 7 p.m. sharp. Like they don't they don't wait till 7:01. It's no TNT broadcast. Like they're starting at 7 p.m. sharp, and that tips off at 9 a.m. Uh, Australian time, Sydney time. And the game's done at 11 a.m. So sometimes I wouldn't even eat breakfast before I watched my first NBA game. Like it was, it was weird to have that sort of uh, calendar flip in your mind and watch, you know, wake up and watch a game at 9 a.m. But it was great because all of my basketball watching would be done maybe by two, and I would go to the beach afterwards. Like it was, it was the greatest thing ever invented. Is, is just having that clock on at that time and and then i could watch local sports if i if i wanted to in, in australia you know at night so uh for a sporting fan it, australia has the best time zone for that if you have uh an irregular job if you have a normal job like if you're working nine to five it absolutely sucks because you'll never be able to see anything but you know if you have an irregular job where you can uh, kind of cheat and pull up leave pass at the work computer or um you know watch during the day periodically you're, you're fine it, it, is, it is a great great situation Absolutely. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here, Carlin. Um, your favorite and least favorite coaching hire this this cycle. Who is it? The least favorite. I, I don't know if I can. I, I don't know if I have a least favorite um, because a lot of these coaches are going to be brand new. I mean, you know, I, I guess I could. I could. I guess I could say Chauncey Phillips uh, just because of what he's brought into the Portland Trailblazers, uh, the, the drama that he's brought, and they may lose Lillard over it. Uh, I, I think, you know, if, if you're a Portland fan, that's probably your least favorite uh, hire of all time, if that, if that comes to fruition. So I'll, I'll go with Billups there. Um, it, but you know, I think my favorite has to be um, you know, Jamal Mosley in, in Orlando. Um, and when I look at that Orlando Magic team, it is going to be tough to get me to watch a game. But, uh, you know, you've been hearing about, uh, you know, Jamal for a little while here. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if everything that we've been hearing about him is correct, he's going to turn that Magic franchise around pretty quickly. And they need it. You know, they haven't been relevant for, I mean, almost, you know, 15 years now. Um, let me take that back. In the late 2010, they were, you know, they were, you know, a, a team to be reckoned with. But since Dwight Howard left in 2013, uh, that team, uh, you know, has, hasn't been great. So, um, 
I, I would like to see them relevant again. Um, you know, they obviously are rebuilding. They trade away Vucevic. We, that made that clear that they're going to be rebuilding. They trade away Aaron Gordon. They're going to be rebuilding. So this track is going to be huge for them. Uh, I do want them, you know, to kind of get uh, some young talent in there. Um, and, and, you know, they have guys that I, I'm waiting for, for to take the next step. Mo Bamba, I'm waiting for him to take the next step. And I know big men take a little while to get there, but he now has no more excuses with Vucevic elsewhere. Um, you know, I, I, I really want to see a healthy season um, from, from some of these guys. Marco Fultz, I would love to see a healthy season from him. Um, you know, I, I, w- I would love to see a healthy season from a Jonathan Isaac. You know, th- those are the names that I think, um, you know, the, the Orlando Magic could build around. Uh, they just need health and, you know, c- just continue to accumulate talent there and, and they'll be okay. Mosley's interesting because I think I wrote about this too of just like Clifford and what he got out of that and Clifford making a weird gamble to me being 60 and being on multiple head coaching stops and just think, like I remember reading a piece I forgot which uh, which newspaper it was but like I think it may have been the Orlando Sentinel but like oh he's like eyeing Boston and Portland I'm like he's not getting out of his jobs who's who's who believes the the Celtics are moving on from Stevens for Steve Clifford. Or who believes that Neil O'Shea is gonna? Hire, what? What? Who's? I, I, I just I was wondering about this because I'm like obviously there was a disconnect with the Magic and um, Clifford in that like he wanted to win and they traded Fournier, Gordon, and um, oh, and Vucevic, and clearly things were changing. But he also got them to back to back playoff performance playoff seasons when. It was like they, like you said, they have been irrelevant and just bad. And like the Rob Hennigan era is not that long ago. And just the, the end of the Otis Smith era, like it was really, really bad for a long time. And you just saw Frank Vogel move on and just won a title with the Lakers. And he struggled in Orlando and Jock Vaughn struggled in Orlando. And, um, Borrego is obviously doing well in Charlotte. And then you look at Clifford, who got a lot out of nothing. DJ Augustine was a starting point guard in that Raptors game you were talking about. He hit the game winner. Like, he put the Raptors yeah. on notice early. I, I would bet against Mosley. Like, I would bet against him being better than... Like, I, if you look at this roster and just how young it is, they have no 30-year-olds on this team. Like, young teams don't win the NBA. And the, the, they have two lottery picks that he's going to be asked to also develop along with Jamo Kiki. You got Mobamba, as you cited. Markel Fultz, like Terrence Ross is your your lead vet, but you look at this group and it's just youth everywhere. Jonathan Isaac coming back, hopefully healthy, but like there's no scoring. There's all kinds of questions there. And we just see this time and time again, this kind of youth, like he's getting fired in two years. Like this team's going to be awful for the next two years. And it's just, it's unbelievably hard for these coaches to survive like a three-year bad stretch. Like Lloyd Pierce went through it. Brett Brown obviously went through it. Um, I'm worried about Steven Silas and what he's dealing with um, for the next couple of years Boy. in Houston. Like it's just, the teams are not patient and they say they are in the hiring process. Like we're going to rebuild, we're going to do this right. But then when you go 65 and 180, it just, it, it just wears. And it's just really, really hard to survive. And it doesn't matter how it could have been an in-game tactician Mosley is. It's just an unwinnable situation in the short term, I think for him. Yeah, but the 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 one thing that he kind of gets uh, a pass on is that you know there's a GM in there, Jeff Waltman, that uh, has been there, who's made these decisions for uh, you know he's he's had time to kind of turn this thing around in Orlando, and this is kind of his last shot, really. You know, he's not going to get another rebuild. You know, he, this this is it for him. So when you look at that, uh, you know, he, he took over from the Hannigan era. When you look at that, it, 
he, you know, if, if they come out the gate slow, especially if they have another season where, you know, they're 20, 25 wins, no one's going to be pointing the finger at Jamal Mosley. They're going to all be pointing it at Weltman saying he's not getting enough talent there for, for this wonder kid uh, of, a, of a head coach to, you know, to really perform with. So I think Jamal will get a, you know, his leash will be a lot longer um, than, you know, it, it would have been if he came in with the GM, you know, hand in hand. This is going to be really Jeff Weltman's last shot and he can't miss. So, uh, you know, he's going to give Jamal everything that he needs to, to really produce. They have two top 10 picks, I believe, right in this draft. Five and coming eight, up. yeah. Um, yeah, five and eight. So that that should help. Um, they, you know, Jeff can't blow it. You know, he, he got the he got the wizard coach that everybody really wanted him to get. He had two top, you know, five picks to, to, or ten picks, rather, to, to accelerate this rebuild. And then you have a little a uh, little bit of change that you can spend and uh, hopefully entice that mid-tier, you know, bet that you know, doesn't want to pay taxes and he just wants to come down to Florida and golf a lot, you know, and intrigue him to, to come play in Orlando and say, hey, you're going to get a lot of touches. Maybe we'll showcase you for a championship team down the line. But while it's you're never here, happened. Look at their – it's, it's Trace McGrady end of list. Like that is it. Yeah. <laughs> that is the yeah. Orlando I mean, Magic history. It's Trace McGrady they, end of they list. Got, they got Grant Hill. Um, it, was just, it just didn't work out for Grant. Like, no. Think about how different their history would be had Grant Hill not gotten hurt. You know, mm. um, you know, think how different that history would be if if Dwight Howard and Stan Van Gundy don't start button heads. Like, yeah, you know, yes, Dwight Howard falls off a cliff, you know, uh, later on in life, but it, but he still was a valuable member, um, you know, to a championship team, and he still was a face of a franchise. Orlando hasn't had a face since he's left and they're still searching for that. And maybe they could pick that up in this, in this draft. I don't know if it's Scotty Barnes. Uh, he's, he's, he's a decent player, but they need, they need someone to kind of uh, be the face of Orlando basketball. And every time you think about Orlando basketball, if you're still thinking about Shaq and Penny and Dwight Howard, like, or, and Tracy McGrady, like these are guys that, you know, three, three out of four of those guys are retired. Like that shouldn't happen. When you're thinking about a franchise, and you can immediately think about the player that defines that franchise that is currently playing. Well, guess what? Your franchise is in a bad, bad way. And that's going to be Houston. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be, um, you know, Orlando, which we talked about. That could be Portland if they trade Dave Lillard. So th- that's where it sits with me. Sacramento Kings have at least Darren Fox. So, you know, it all is not grim for them. But when you're looking at, you think about your team, you say, hey, who is the guy that defines our franchise? What's the face of it? If you don't have one, then, then you end up being the Detroit Pistons and the, the Rockets and, and then the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, so the Orlando Magic are in that tier. They have two shots in this top 10 here in, uh, in a week or so to, to figure it out. So hopefully they're able to do it. I hope so. But the cynic in me is, would, would hedge against it, would hedge against St. Carl. Um, what can we check out from you across NBA International this week? Yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot going on. Um, you know, it, it all really all depends on you know the game six. Uh, I think if the the Bucks win game six, we're going to give them the credit where it's due. Especially Giannis, uh, it'll be incredible to to really kind of celebrate him. And as an international player, um, you know, it, it is the first time that we're going to have a guy that's not born in the U.S. that is the face of the league. You know, uh, you know, I don't think anyone can take that away from him. Um, it, it, it's, it's well deserved. Like since since Dirk, I'll say since Dirk, and even I would even say you know, even including Dirk, because when Dirk won the championship, no one was arguing that he was the best player in the league. The best mm-hmm. player in the league was still on the opposite team. It was still LeBron James. It was like, hey, why didn't LeBron get there? This, if Giannis is able to do this, he is pound for pound the best player in the league. And you can make arguments against him, but you know it, it's going to be on you know deaf ears. So uh, that's a huge, huge moment I think for for the game globally. 
And it would be a perfect time because you're leading into the Olympics where we've seen Team USA go and kind of look shaky. They're not sitting in their best unit there. Um, And this is a team that's very vulnerable. uh, That's going up against a lot of, you know, very talented teams uh, from around the world. that have been together for quite some time. My sleeper pick, Chase, this is for all the betters out there. I'm not a betting man, but, you know, if, if I was... I would say that the Czech Republic are going to bring home a medal. Okay. They, they haven't been to the Olympic Games since the separation of Czechoslovakia. This is their first time as the Czech Republic that they go to the Olympic Games. They finished sixth place at the FIBA World Cup. They shocked a lot of teams by, uh, you know, by getting there. I was in Canada. I called the Olympic qualifiers uh, where they beat Canada in overtime. Uh, they, they go on to beat Greece, and they're now in the Olympic Games. They're in the same group as Team USA. They're going to play Team USA very close in that game and it's going to shock a lot of people that the Czech Republic are very close with Team USA in that game. They may even pull off the upset, but I, I, I do feel that the Czech Republic are going to pull home a medal. It's not going to be gold. If they do get a medal, it's going to be bronze. Um, but I had my money on them to, uh, to come home with a bronze medal. Um, so you can look out for that stuff uh, all on NBA.com International. Uh, we'll be watching the Olympics heavily. And of course the draft, we, we touched on it a little bit. Um, speaking of international players, you have Alfred Shangun, had, uh, who I had opportunity to watch up close and personal. Really, really, really like him. Um, he's, he's 18. He's very physical, back to the basket, old school, big. Can't shoot threes, so that's why he's not getting the hype that you would get from you know those international prospects that you know come out of Europe. But this guy is a, a stud. He, you know, 18 and 10 in his pro league, and as an 18 year old chase, that's pretty good. When you have other men that understand that you're going to the next level. And they're trying to make a name off of you uh, by having their best game of their lives against you, and you still average eighteen and nine as an eighteen-year-old. That's pretty good. You know, you're you're a good player. I don't care what level you're playing at. So, uh, he is a solid, solid player out of Turkey. Um, you know, Usman Garuba. He's actually uh, uh, from Spain. He's on the uh, national team. Some people would have saw him uh, in that exhibition game against Team USA. I think he's solid too. It, it, there's a lot of international players. Josh uh, Giddy from Australia. Uh, very, 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 very level-headed point guard. He's getting taller and bigger by the minute, it seems like. Um, I, I think I, he would be a, a good fit, actually, in New Orleans. We were talking about guards to go to New Orleans. He would be a perfect point guard to go there. So there, there is a lot of international flavor uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, that we can look forward to. It starts with Giannis, you know, if he's able to you know, close it out here, uh, leading into the Olympics and, of course, the NBA draft. So uh, check out NBA.com International. We'll have a cover for you. All right. Well, go do that, folks. Carlin, thank you so much for making the time. It was good to check back in. Let's uh, let's do it more often, man. This is great. Yeah, definitely. Next time I'm back, in, I'm in Knoxville. I'll definitely give you a call. We we got to go see uh, either watch uh, your balls uh, or, or or figure out a way to get down to Central and watch uh, the Central Bobcats do do their thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be rocking the Oak Ridge stuff. The the girlfriend uh, is actually an Oak Ridge one, so I gotta I gotta be careful with my allegiances here. The rivalry game there. Exactly, exactly. Carlin, thank you so much. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.